Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode. This is lucky number 13. Now, did a little bit of geek Google searching and I came up with a few little little few little fun facts about the number 13. So firstly, in numerology, uh, the number 13 is considered a number which signifies upheaval and even destruction. Now, whilst this might sound a little ominous, the change can also be positive. And in Italian, to do 13, fare tredisi, I hope that I said that right, is to hit the jackpot. Now, this is quite apt as our next guest is going to talk about a whole bunch of positive changes that you can make in your respective lives. My name is Ben Aldewer, coming to you from Auckland, New Zealand, and of course, joined as always by my co-host Emma Strutt in Boona, Queensland. Hello, Emma. G'day, Ben. Hi, folks. Hope you're well. Great. So now, before we kick off, um, I just want to make uh, a special little announcement for those of you in New Zealand. Uh, the great news is that I am due to start my next plant-based nutrition for sport workshop tour and yes i am finally bringing it to the south island now the venues will be mostly plant-based vegan cafes so great to support our local communities and kicking it all off the first date will be thursday the 9th of july that's right this week in nelson and that will be followed by no particular order auckland Whangarei, tauranga taupo rotorua and the final date will be the Sunday, the 22nd of November in Christchurch. There will be a few more dates added, so simply head over to the Fitness Locker Facebook page and you will find all the individual event dates as I confirm all those details as as they happen. So um, that's just my little bit. Emma, over to you. All right. Thanks, Ben. Okay, so I'm very keen to dive into this one. Today we sit down with the effervescent physiotherapist and coach Brad Dixon, owner of Everfit Physio at the Mount in Tauranga. In addition to his physio and coaching work, Brad is a writer for Trail Runner magazine and has got quite the sporting resume too, which I'm sure we'll touch on at some point today. But the reason why I am so excited to have Brad on the show is he absolutely walks his talk when it comes to health and well-being and he really does take a holistic approach with his clients incorporating many important pillars of lifestyle medicine now i think in the health and wellness space especially in my space nutrition there is a tendency to be quite reductionist take a reductionist kind of approach and get all caught up with you know this specific micronutrient or that particular vegetable like it's going to be the silver bullet Um, but in my mind that's a little bit short-sighted and Brad has actually coined the phrase expansive wellness which is just brilliant and we'll get him to expand on that in the show today Um, but enough of my rambling we'll bring Brad on now but Brad thank you so so much for joining us today well thank you and thank you for the the wonderful introduction Emma that that was uh that really just nailed it that's exactly what I'm about and I think you put it you put it really nicely, so thanks for that. Brilliant. So, um, Brad, uh, welcome again. Uh, let's start off with a little bit about yourself, your own um, personal journey in terms of what you've studied. As Emma said, you're a physio. Uh, we do share a common path here that we're both coaches as well, and we'll touch a little bit on that as well, I'm sure. But uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, where, what got you to where you are now. Yeah, look, I think, 
off. I studied for my physio degree um, and I got that from, from Otago University in uh, the late 90s. In 1997, I think I graduated. Um, and then after that, got a, a postgraduate certificate in health science and um, also a certificate in psychology and counselling. So studying a little bit more holistically rather than just the, uh, the physical um, sense. It's, it's, it's trying to get a, a really good broad outline of uh, some of the other aspects of health and, and wellness. And so I think over the last 20 years, you know, since, since graduating, um, I've just started to take a bit of a deep dive into what actually makes us human um, and what actually um, what sort of things we can do to nudge us towards wellness. Um, yeah, and that and I think that that all really started when my uncle got sick. He got diagnosed with bowel cancer um, about eight years ago now, um, and. He would blog and email the family just about something he was talking about, red meat, and how it's a, a possible cause of, of bowel cancer. And uh, after looking into it, realized that he had a point. And so I, I started reducing my meat contact, um, content and so did my family. And then over the last eight years, we've gradually progressed to become um, plant-based. So that's kind of how we got into, into it from that side as well. I believe your your young daughters played a little role in that as well. Yeah, okay, absolutely. I mean, I started to go more plant based purely purely for health and performance, and then my wife uh, was more more did it for sustainability and, and the environment. But my daughters purely went plant based due to animal ethics. We were on a camping holiday, and they started to make friends with Sophie the pig, um, and they used to feed her um, every morning and and, and stroke her and and. Um, you know, just just really connected with with Sophie, and when we left, they they said to us, "Oh, we can't wait to play with with Sophie." You know, next time we come, and we sort of just had to explain to them that Sophie Sophie wasn't a pet, and that she was livestock, and her purpose was to um, to be grown, raised, to be then um, uh, slaughtered, so that we could have ham and we could have bacon, and um, and and that that look they gave us when we explained mm-hmm. that because we were explaining it quite nonchalantly like, this is just the way it is and and they looked at us as if we were monsters and i think that's kind of when we sort of <laughs> thought well wait a minute maybe maybe we've been conditioned you know just to expect that this is just the way it is and and they just immediately gave up eating bacon and ham straight away they just wouldn't touch it and then over the, the next few years from there realized that you know chicken was from a chicken and they made friends with a chicken and 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 I think they just started to understand that that um, that that meat was actually from from a sentient uh, being, a, an animal that actually could feel fear, joy, and pain. And so they they made that connection very early. And 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 so they are plant based uh, primarily for for animal ethics reasons. So we've all, as a family, come into the plant based lifestyle from very different directions, but. Mm. And then, but then at the end of the day, we all can understand each other's uh, point of view. So it's been a really, a really great learning journey for all of us. Yeah, that's wonderful. And your lovely wife, um, she's in the medical profession, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. So she's a she's a GP and, and a very good holistic GP. You know, likes to try and um, look at the whole picture. But as you probably know, you know, GP land. Uh, is is the, the system is 
it's, it's pretty flawed in my in my opinion in that you only have 10 or 15 minutes per client slash patient and, and it's, it's really a bit of an ambulance parked at the bottom of the cliff a lot of the time and, mm. and I think um, Coral feels a little bit frustrated sometimes at not being able to really get in and get to the crux of the issues. She's um, you know, always running behind and, and trying to do the best for her patients but feeling very stretched and flustered. Um, so I think I, I get that message from a few GPs. Um, it is very hard sometimes to, to, to look at the, the patient holistically because it just isn't the system's not set up and they don't have the time to do it that's right in fact a, a very recent guest of ours dr shireen kassam um spoke of exactly the same problem and and that's what inspired her to uh create a platform that uh, provides a lot of resources so when you don't have the time to have the conversation you at least can pass on a a, a, a link to a website say um, and say, yeah. look, do some reading. Yeah. Um, and I think what's evolving in, in the space, and, and there's a lot of platforms now, a lot of fantastic platforms, is, is just a, a, a base for resources that a lot of health professionals yeah. like Coral herself can use. And, but, but yeah, we, we, we certainly, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's that interaction, that one-on-one -on -one interaction that's the most important. It's where you can really influence the change. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And in my psychology and counselling training, the big thing I got out of that is we just need to give people more time so that we can connect and then they can feel comfortable talking and unpacking. Yeah. And then they usually come up with their own solutions. And we have a medical system that doesn't really allow that, you know, for that real lovely connection and for mm -hmm. that ability to talk and listen. I think, you know, I mean, for me, I'm a solution-based physio. People come in and see me and I tend to, just try to find solutions and I, I'm learning now to just give more time, more space for people to talk and tell their story and that's actually really powerful and it can be a really great empowerment to help someone um, move along to actually solve some of their own issues. So that's probably what's missing and that's time and that comes back to our talk that we had earlier about a busy lifestyles. I think we're all just so busy, we don't have that time to really connect on a deeper level to allow a deeper sense of healing. Yeah. Perfect. And, and I mean, the system as it is at the moment, it's kind of a sick care system, not a healthcare system, in my yeah, opinion, agreed. anyway. Um, yeah, so what, what does wellness mean to you then? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And that's evolving. Um, look, when, it, when I first started looking into wellness about eight years ago, it was I really just looked at the individual. So I was looking at habits that would help an individual become more well, you know, um, looking at um, how they can uh, get a more robust immune system and how they can get fitter and stronger. And but now wellness is, is a lot more expansive because I now know that you cannot be well in a sick world and you cannot be well when we have uh, unclean water and soil that's been depleted of nutrients and we, we can't be well when our fellow brothers and sisters overseas are starving to death. So I think we need to look at it way more expansively and realize that our habits have to be positive and enhancing for not only us, but for our families, our communities, our country, and our planet, and our fellow planet inhabitants, um, our animals, our livestock, our pets, um, the fish in the sea. It's, it's, it's looking at it way more expansively. And when you start to do that, um, I think that's when we can really get a hold on what it truly means to work towards wellness. Now, I know during, um, you know, having heard you present, you, you make references to the Blue Zone areas with some of the, 
the habits that you, we will talk about. But I think mm. there, there's there's a very important uh, correlation to that in the sense that, you know, from a nutrition point of view, we're always making reference to the blue zone areas. It's always about this is this is the type of eating that um, now to our listeners, let me just first elaborate what a blue zone area is. There are regions of the world where people live much longer than average. So they're the highest percentage of centenarians, centenarians, sorry, I can't speak today. Centenarians. Uh, centenarians, <laughs> here we go. Um, they also suffer a fraction of the diseases that commonly kill people in other parts of the developed world um, and enjoy more years of good health. And, and the blue zone areas include Okinawa in Japan, Sardinia in Italy, Nicoya in Costa Rica, Ikaria in Greece, and Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. Now, what these studies look at with the blue zones getting back to my point now is it's not just nutrition it's it's lifestyle and in a way you can kind of relate that to the definition of wellness because it talks about relationships it talks about a purpose it talks about being active and again i don't want to give away some of that the habits but there's a direct it's almost it's almost like you can actually refer back you can reference the you know what you've just said to the blue zone areas yeah yeah, that's exactly right. And I think you, you pick up on some big wellness rocks, like I call them. I tell, talk to people about working on your free big wellness rocks in your wellness wall rather than spending lots of money on the pebbles. Because people, I think we, we are so used to being marketed these little pebbles that make people money. But really, if we just invest time in the free big rocks of wellness, which is our relationships, which is our sense of purpose, which is, which is clean water, which is sleep, um, and if we can do that, then we really set that platform up for a, a, much, a much more deeper connected way of living and, and definitely then a, a much better platform for health and wellness. Yeah. And you've kind of categorized your expansive wellness into, I think, is it 10, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of 10 ways to um, improve our health and our habits? Would, would you mind talking us through That's those? That's correct. Ones? Yeah, I've got... Yeah, no problem. So um, I can I can list them first of all, and then go back to them if you want. But sounds great. So yep. I've, I've sort of yeah, I've had a bit of a look over the past few years and just tried to create some daily enhancing habits that we can all tap into that helps us. But then also um, in the background, they also help um, the communities and they also help the planet. So uh, the first one is a plant-centered diet, you know, and then the second one is med- meditation and mindfulness. The third one is being able to stand up more and move more during the day. Uh, the number four is functional body weight exercises, so being full body strong. Number five is sleep. Six is the power of cold water, which um, is a little bit uh, of an outlying one, but I think it's very important. Um, number seven is moderate and vigorous cardiovascular exercise. Number eight is fasting. Nine um, and probably the most important one is quality relationship. And, um, number 10 just talks about reducing, reusing, recycling, and refusing to try and move away from this consumeristic, materialistic, buy more, get happy type of lie that we've all been taught, um, that we need to actually try to, to make use of the things we have, make them last longer rather than going out and buying more stuff because that, buying more stuff is creating real problems um, on our on our planet mm. yeah preach and, <laughs> yeah and listening to this list i mean one can really see 
the influence that your back your own personal background has and and even the influence from your family you know i mean there's these elements that will come from your physio background there's these elements that come from you know the more psychology background there's potentially a bit of influence from your family i don't know who's influenced the cold thermogenesis as you call <laughs> it um but we'll get into that but um be- before we do go into the detail just one question um you're also an endurance sports coach uh, that's one the one thing that you and i do share um, to some degree, but um, is there anything in particular that you take as an approach uh, that you incorporate into to the way how you interact with your your athletes? Um, you know, do you incorporate some of these daily habits into the way you you guide your athletes? Or yeah, abso- absolutely. Like it's, I've, and you can it'd be quite interesting to talk to some of my athletes about it. But I've really evolved and changed over the last five years, and now when. We sit down now and have our catch-ups, which I do every four to six weeks with, with each, and, each individual athlete. You know, I, I'm talking about the process and the framework of habits around the training, yeah. even more than the training. So yeah. I, I will give people sessions and, and they'll have their reps and their sets and their rest and, and we'll create that lovely, that lovely week and month and that block. But, mm. you know, we, we talk now more about, about how are their cold showers going and how are their, how's their plant-based eating plan going, their sleep quality how's the relationships you know we talk about all of that because that helps give framework and stability to the process that process breeds consistency and consistency is the key to success um, when it comes to endurance training and when it, and when it comes to life so um, look I've really changed now I'm really a lot more about the joy and the process and then you know what the results and the performance comes then later you know rather than becoming performance and data driven i'm now more process driven and then the results i get the results and the performance later anyway i could yep. not agree anymore and the key word consistency is something that my athletes get tired of hearing from me and what's important yeah. with your approach and and, I, and and we certainly do have very very similar approaches although i do not and we're going to keep talking about this the cold showers but maybe you'll convince <laughs> me by the end of this but um you know it's managing stress and, and a lot of these elements manage that because what people don't realize is, well, I've got the perfect plan, I'm following the plan, but I'm not achieving the result. Why? But when you deep dive, you realize they're only sleeping four hours a day or they're not, you know, they're not eating correctly or they've got stress at home relationship-wise or poor relationships at work or whatever the case is. So it is so fundamental to have the environment, as I call it, um, more conducive to being able to achieve, to being able to perform, to be able to stretch, you know, set goals and achieve them. But without that, the the process that you talk about, it's 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 pushing a molehill uphill. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Unless you have that that framework, then the training will fall over. And so you you know, it's about almost giving giving the minimal dose required to get some change, and then making sure that the framework and those habits are are really dialed in and then you can up the training and what what i used to do in the past is give people way too much training and then wonder why they get injured and sick and mm. fall over um and it's just because i wasn't giving um giving that process that the respect it deserved and so now i'm a lot more process and habit um focused and you know my athletes love that we, we have great chats when we meet up we we chat about lots of cool things and I feel like I get to know them a little bit better and, and it makes my coaching far more enjoyable than just being data-driven and just being process-driven. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's and that would help with their mind. 
that would help with their mindset too, wouldn't it? I mean, you can be doing everything right on paper, but if you're just miserable in your training and your eating, like it, it's not going to result in, <laughs> in good outcomes. It's about enjoyment. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, the joy. It's it's a point one percent that's professionals. Yeah. The rest are, are people that are doing for lifestyle choice. You know, to be healthier, to to get out and enjoy the planet. Um, you got to enjoy it. You have to. Otherwise, why are you doing it? That's what I ask. Why are you setting that alarm for a ridiculous time in the morning to go out in the cold, the wet, the dark? Why? Because of enjoyment. There's got to be that element of enjoyment. Now, Brad, you talk about your athletes, but you yourself as an athlete have also seen change and results you, you're running faster in some respect yeah yeah like I was um, <laughs> after I made my after I made my change um, when I was 38 and I went plant I had a bad knee injury I had a meniscus tear I couldn't run for about nine months so I really just threw myself into this wellness journey and I went plant-based um, and really tidied up my my diet by just cutting back on highly processed food and cut out the meat progressively um, and then cut out the dairy um, and then, and then, um, just started to get a little bit more full body strong. Uh, looked at my sleep a little bit more, and, and you know, within that nine months, I'd lost 12 kgs of weight. Wow! Um, I was leaner. Um, I was leaner. I was stronger. And I can remember going out for a run when I first started running again with my mate Andy Vane, who's one of my best training buddies. And and he and we're doing these reps, and I was just running. I was just leaving them behind me quite easily. And and he he remarked afterwards. He said, you know, you look like a you look like a white Kenyan going around that bend there, and and I, I just think I started to I started to feel more like a runner, um, and just and, and since then, um, have managed to lower my personal bests in the 10k uh, and the half marathon. You know, the half marathon I, I did a 117 back in university back in the in the late 90s, um, and then I managed to, to do a one uh, one hour 16:20. You know, wow. when I was 42. 42 years of age so I never I never thought I'd get down there again and I know that these habits um, and, yeah. and it started with plant-based eating um, yeah uh, those habits really helped me be able to achieve those sort of times and you've touched on something really important there like it started with just one thing so you don't have to do everything at once pick one Correct. pick two pick three things and eventually they'll flow on there'll be a domino effect and you'll mm. be wanting to incorporate more things into your life once you start feeling better yeah that's a really good point because you know plant plant-based eating was my in and once i became a little bit more plant-based and just started to just i stopped the red meat first of all and then i sort of just gradually stopped a few other things eliminated things and then and then looked at cold therapy and sleep and bodyweight exercises and then meditation i would never have been open to meditation and yoga um before but I, it just once you dive in it it, it kind of just opens your mind to other things that were mm. closed before um and I, I mentioned that a lot with people with plant-based eating you know when you've got your meat goggles on when you're eating a lot of meat <laughs> and i was i was eating meat every day and i would eat as much meat as i could because i loved it a meal was not complete without meat and i don't about animal ethics and environmental stuff because I liked my meat and don't tell me what to do um, but once I started to decrease it I, my mind was more open the, the, the meat goggles came off a little bit and I was just open to looking at more things so you know that that was my end for sure and um, I think it's a really good point you make you don't want to do you don't have to do everything perfectly just start mm. just start and then pick a little bit of something else and just 
you know, don't let perfection ruin your progression. Just just start and enjoy the journey and make sure that joy is at the center of it and, um, and that you're really having fun with it. Well, I think this is a perfect lead-in to, to the, 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 the habits we're going to talk about, your first point uh, or your first habit. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. let's take it away, Brad. Let's, let's, let's do a little mini deep dive into each of these uh, habits. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you just a yeah, mini little thing on each of them. So the first one was definitely the plant-centered diet. And mm-hmm. I mean, as you guys know, I'm, I mean, I'm preaching here to the converted, but mm-hmm. um, once I started to eat less meat and, and, and just tidy up my diet, I just lost uh, a lot of weight. I got a lot leaner. I just felt better. I just was able to think clearer. I was able to sleep better. I had a lot of positive flow-on effects, so I kept going with it. And as you both know, I mean, the Eat Lancet study shows that, that eating more plants and less animals is better for, for human health, but it's also more, it's better for planetary health. You know, it's just more efficient to grow food to eat to humans, directly to humans, rather than to grow lots of food to, to filter through animals at a ratio of, you know, and the most efficient animal is nine to one. So you nine calories of energy to one calorie of energy out for a chicken. Uh, and then beef, it's, you know, 16 to one. It's just inefficient. I mean, mm. if we if we stand back and look at the efficiency scale, it's just dumb. It's a crime against common sense. It's a crime against compassion. It doesn't make much sense to use animals as a, as, as a large source of food. Um, so for, for me, it just started to align with what's good for me, what's good for the environment. And then, you know, the last thing, which is the most uncomfortable thing for people to think about and talk about is, is that animals are sentient beings. You know, they have whether it's a livestock or a pet, they, a calf and a, and a puppy, they, they feel pain, they feel joy. Um, and, and to have to take that calf away from, from its mother and, and, mm. and, and do, do away with it so that we can take the milk from the mother cow. Just, when, you, when you start to just look at the process, it doesn't make much sense. But um, you know, you've got to do that in your own way because it's quite uncomfortable um, to, to talk about that sort of stuff. So the plant-based eating you know, was, was just a bit of a no-brainer for me once you started to take, take a deep dive down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and, and you know, on the show, we've, we've had a lot of guests now um, talk about the environmental impact. We've had um, a number of, of guests talk about the health uh, impact. But you know, coming from you and talking about the, um, I guess, from a performance, a sporting perspective, it's, it's a very similar story to... To me, I mean, I haven't attempted to better my 21k run, but um, I would have never, ever in a million years thought about running ultra marathons, let alone marathons. Um, and again, it's this plant-based lifestyle that has allowed me. And and I think you know, if you take that a step further, why? Because we're reducing the inflammatory-causing foods. Um, you know, you can eat as, as much of of the the, the good phytonutrients uh, in fruit and veggies and legumes etc cetera, etc cetera, but we're taking away the inflammatory causing foods we're also we're getting leaner i mean i find myself i i never thought i was overweight or, or carried too much perhaps or anything like that but everyone i see that i haven't seen in a long time wow you're looking leaner um, you know, it's it's similar to your the reference of you being that white Kenyan. It's it's you just you lose you shed those few kgs you didn't really need to carry clearly because your body self regulates. Um, it's making you lighter. It's it's helping your recovery. Um, I always say it's a bit anecdotal, but there's a lot more and more research coming th- through now showing signs showing the benefits from a sporting point of view as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's a, a bit of a no brainer. So mm. the so that's the first one. That, yeah. And then number two was meditation. 
meditation and mindfulness. So meditation was something I picked up a few years ago, and I was very anti it. I, I just thought meditation was boring. Um, you sat down, you did nothing. But then I always like to give a habit a go for 100 days. I believe a habit gets sort of imprinted um, with those connective um, neural pathways after well, between 66 and about 120 days. So, you know, three months is a, is a good time to do something. So I did it for three months and then I ended up doing it for 426 days in a row because it just felt so good. Um, yep. So I did 10, minute, 10 minutes of meditation every day um, and, and I just it just calmed me down. I just After the meditation, I just felt like um, a lighter, uh, mind was a bit more clear, um, it was easier to... To, to go through tasks. Um, I felt a little bit more calm with dealing with my children. Um, and, it, and then looking at the research, you know, it really helped ramp up your parasympathetic system. It helps mm -hmm. recovery. It helps digestion. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at, look at some of the performance um, stats from some of the teams in the US, they actually have meditation experts come in and work with teams and individuals because it's just such a great performance aid. So, so it was one of those habits that I picked up um, because I, I knew that I should try it, and now I, I can't let it go. So now I meditate most nights, um, you know, most mornings, at least five to six times a week, and it's one of those habits that I'll never let go of. I just think it's such an important one for to, to help with mind, body, and soul. So it's yeah. one of those ones I'll keep doing. I agree. I think it's quite undervalued, and I mean, it it helps you personally, but it also helps in your relationships as well. Like over time, you find that you become mm. a bit less judgmental and less reactive, and you can kind of just sit with things a little bit more. And it, I, I find that it does help. Um, you know, if you're having an argument with a friend or family <laughs> member, it just yeah. It, you're not as reactive. But what Brad mentioned there, the, the parasympathetic nervous system, it's, 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 you know, you're getting that balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic. And, and your sympathetic is that fight or flight. You know, it is, it is, it's the angry side of you. You know, it's a full, full energy. You're not thinking clearly. And the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, that's where that calmness comes in. So, Emma, correct. I mean, it does. It does sort of calm you down because that's what you're doing. But now, Brad, what what in, what do you incorporate in your meditation? Do you do you you know some people? Some of our listeners might be picturing um, you know you're sitting there cross leg, just closing your eyes and don't know um, what you're thinking about. Or are you incorporating breathing exercises? What 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 is what is your little um, routine there? Yeah, my routine is based around an app, actually, by um, Andy Petticombe, who's a fantastic ordained Tibetan monk out of London. Mm -hmm. um, went to try and find himself, got ordained as a Tibetan monk, came back and developed this app called Headspace. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I use Headspace as, as a way to log and journal my, my meditation journey. Um, and what it does is it just, you basically just sit down and focus on your breath, let thoughts come and go, um, and, just, and just try to use the time... Is, is just time with yourself and trying to step out of that busy sort of materialistic world and just and just have some time with yourself focusing on your breathing. And the, the Headspace app is very good because it gives you little packs of things to deal with anxiety or, or sports performance or, um, you know, dealing with illness. And it's, it's like a little bit of education just seeped in with the meditation practice. So for me, I, lo I love it, uh, you know. So I recommend it to, to most of my clients. So Headspace... Um, as, a, as a meditation app is, is just fantastic. That's brilliant. And it's definitely becoming more prevalent in the sporting world as well. Um, I'm a big fan of measuring heart rate variability as a means of, 
you know, determining our state of stress or, or, or recovery. And um, even those platforms are bringing in more and more breathing exercises to help the recovery, help improve the recovery. If you have a poor score and, and you're, you're showing up stressed in the morning, do these breathing exercises to help. So it's certainly becoming more and more prevalent. So you're right. I, I used to turn my nose up to meditation. I don't do it still. It's not that I still turn my nose up to it, um, but I'm certainly learning to appreciate it more. And yoga is something I've certainly in the last couple of years really got into because i've appreciated the benefits of it and um emma i know you will appreciate this because you're a a (laughs) well-qualified uh yoga instructor too yeah but i think if everyone started incorporating (laughs) yoga into their lives we'd live in a much healthier happier world (laughs) for sure totally agree couldn't agree more emma and i I say to my clients if i was a benevolent dictator i'd make yoga compulsory <laughs> new, zealand would, new zealand would save 12 billion dollars a year on its health budget you know i just think yoga is one of those things that um it's a full body mind soul type um yeah. way of, of of improving yourself and it really helps with so many things and the research is out there too it's it, you know it's starting mm-hmm. to the research is starting to stack up and show that it helps with it can help with digestion it can help with anxiety it can help um with relationships it's just it's one of those things that is a, a really good um holistic enhancement performing agent so I, I totally recommend it for everyone yeah good so next one brad yeah the next one stand up move more so you know motion is lotion and our bodies are just designed to move and, and move hopefully in nature we're not designed to sit for eight hours a day like unfortunately most of us do Um, that's kind of a default setting that totally hampers our entire system it hampers our breathing our digestion it puts tissue tension load on the lumbar spine neck shoulders so sitting for more than two and a half hours a day has been shown uh, through some research to to be as bad as smoking half a packet of cigarettes a week so it has a lot of health implications sitting and so much so that some countries like Denmark, actually make it uh, illegal for an employer not to offer an employee a standing desk, and that's been in law since 2014. So I I just think we, you know, New Zealand, again, when it comes to health and safety, uh, we're pretty good with safety, but health, we're about 15 years behind. We need to be standing more during the day. We we need to do away with with sitting for long periods. And, And like kids at school, this is what gets me, kids go and sit in a desk. How are they supposed to learn um, when they're sitting down like they used to do in Victorian times. We need to have more collaborative um, ways of learning. And, and sitting is not very good for learning or studying, you know. Um, I just think we really need to move away from the sit lifestyle that we've we've kind of created for ourselves. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for all of the office workers out there who are usually sitting down for eight hours a day? Get a standing desk. So I got a standing desk about three years ago now. And I stand about 90% of my day. I sit down sometimes for some initial consults, some sort of psychology consults where I want to sit down and, and, and just get into a few things. But otherwise, I'm standing. Um, and that way, from a performance point of view, your hips aren't, aren't shortened, your hip flexors aren't shortened, your, um, your, your glute muscle, the biggest muscle in your body, isn't uh, being turned off. It's got blood flow through it. Um, it's just like standing is, is what we need to be doing more of. Um, if you've got osteoarthritic knees or things like that then maybe you need to sit a little bit more but we still need to work on our sit to stand ratio and have a lot less sit and a lot more stand for the majority of our working society 
So things like uh, gimmicks like Swiss balls and so on are not really, they're not really solving the problem, are they? Probably actually encouraging more poor posture if, if you've got a weak core. Yeah, yeah look, you know, 10 years ago I used to recommend Swiss balls, but they're a little bit, you sit down to help engage your core because it's a little bit more of an unstable surface. But at the end of the day, you're still sitting, so just stand up. Yeah. And then you can throw in some quad stretches, you can do a bit of a back arch every now and then. You just you feel more productive in the afternoon if you're standing. Just try it, you know. Because you're getting tired, so you just want to get on with it. <laughs> Post lunch, yes. <Yeah. laughs> but 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 is the key is the key standing or is the key to move more? Oh, it's probably a little bit of both, and it depends yeah. on the individual and and their work environment. But yeah. you definitely need to get up and move around a little bit more. But the trouble is when you get into a flow state when you're sitting. Um, and you're doing a task, you won't move. Like people say, oh, I get up and move around every 10 minutes. And sometimes, some days they won't because they'll they'll get into a task and they'll be there for two or three hours and won't move. So yeah. I still think a standing desk is, is a better way to do it than just to say get up and move. So yeah. um, I definitely get up and move around. But, but standing desks, I think, are, are really, really useful just to make the default mode standing. Right, should we all stand now for to, for the rest yeah, of this I podcast? Yeah, I feel like I should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get up, get up, stand up. <laughs> now, nah, look, you raise a very valid point, and and I know when exactly like you say when when you you, you get stuck into tasks, you you really get stuck in, and, and you don't move for 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 hours at a time. And and I know when I go through phases of more sitting, I feel it in my running. Um, I feel tighter. I'm yeah. not. I'm not as mobile i'm not you know it, it's um and of course the the other element you touched on in terms of blood flow is is the increased risk of um endothelial dysfunction um you know yeah. with the inner lining of the blood vessels uh are not you know signaling to the arteries to relax normally etc and and yeah and then that causes issues with the blood flow so um yeah i think definitely the moving and standing and um just don't be static just don't be static that's that's the key here isn't it yeah, it is. And I think it's the other thing that I tell to my clients is, you know, make sure you go out for a walk at lunchtime for 20 minutes, a 20-minute power walk at lunchtime with, you know, bare arms to get a little bit of vitamin D as well, yeah. um, just to get out and move. And it's so much so much better for you to move. And moving is such um, such a pivotal thing to make you feel better and feel and, and, and be more well. And we just don't do enough of it, you know. The, the guidelines of 150 minutes a, a week, that, that's not optimal. That's minimal. That's minimal. You know, that's should, right. Yeah. That's yeah. minimal. And we should aim for optimum. And optimum for me is 420 minutes uh, a week. So it's about an hour a day of moving. And if you're not doing that, then what's happening is you're slowly losing function and you're slowly losing functional lifespan, which means that you're going to be a little bit more dysfunctional towards the end of your life. So we need to start talking about it now as health professionals and get people moving and grooving now rather than waiting when the, until they're 65, 70 and falling over. And, and, and that's what the governments do. They throw money in then. It's like, no, we need to be way more proactive. We, we, we can't be this ambulance parked at the bottom of a cliff in terms of health care. We need to be way more proactive and, and really start to um, uh, pr- you know, just promote a more active, well lifestyle, which will save um, our country literally billions uh, in the future. Absolutely. And I mean, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So, <laughs> And do you think step counters yep. are a gimmick or do you actually think they have a place, you know, oh. aiming for the 10,000 steps a day? I think they have a place for certain individuals for sure. You know, yeah. there's certain people that just love them and, and, and they really use them well. Other people, not so much. And so you just have to use 
a, a pedometer as, as a tool that you can use, but you just have to make sure you apply it to the right person. Don't just throw them to everybody because sometimes that, that, they can actually be um, detrimental. So, um, but they definitely have a place um, for certain individuals. Okay, good to know. Good. Right, next one. Still, still focusing on the body here. Yeah, so number four, functional bodyweight exercises. So if you're not full body strong, you know, as an athlete, you'll never reach your full aerobic potential. And as people, you'll never, um, you, you'll become <clears throat> dysfunctional earlier on in your life. So it's just really important to, to make sure that we, we're strong. You know, we clean our teeth twice a day because of dental health. Well, we should be doing little bits of bodyweight exercises once or twice a day just to keep our bodies humming along nicely. Mm. So I talk, you know, and I get my clients, and I've got 80-year-old rest home clients who come in, and we get them doing just little push-ups against the wall and, and we get them to sit down more slowly and do a bit of a hover whenever they sit down. So just incorporate bodyweight exercises into people's lives. And then you can then um, up the prescription a little bit more if you need to. But we should all be doing some sort of full bodyweight exercises every day. And, you, and when people say to me, I don't have time, I, I, I just say, you've got time. You've got time to drop right now and give me 10 push-ups. And, and, you know, and I make them do it in the clinic. And I just say, look, you've got time. Just, just make sure that you... You, you, we need to cherish our bodies as the greatest instrument we'll ever own, you know, and, and a violinist will tune the instrument before a performance, before a concert. Well, we need to be tuning our bodies all the time to get the most strength and vitality out of them. So full body weight exercises are a very efficient way to do that. So I try to promote that with all of my physio clients um, and also my, my athletes, you know, I get them doing some full body weight exercises as well. Yeah. So what are we talking about? Push-ups, pull-ups? squats you know those three fundamental exercises yeah yeah and then planks you can do some planks um you can just go out and you know before you as i say before you sit down and do a slower squat maybe look at some walking lunges down the hallway take yeah. steps two at a time park a little bit further away and and and, and walk with it with a with a with a bigger stride pattern um, you know do some tricep dips on the park bench when you when you're going for your for your jog in the morning just incorporate some sort of full body strength because I think a lot of people and I see a lot of people in my clinic that have neck and shoulder pain and they're just weak they're just weak and if I can get them and I've had some great success with especially with women in their 30s and 40s coming in with really bad shoulder pain and really bad neck pain and I just get them on a push-up call I just get them doing some push-ups and over three to six months we can almost eliminate their pain and you know these are people that have seen hands-on therapists for years and instead sort of never really got to the crux of the issue. And the issue is just a general lack of strength. And mm -hmm. so once we get our population stronger, we can decrease discomfort, pain and injury um, and get people really moving and being and, and engaging in life a lot more with less chance of injury. Yeah, brilliant. And I like the point you raised that it doesn't have to be in massive chunks. So you could be doing, you know, squats when you wait for the kettle to boil or you could be doing some push-ups yeah. when the porridge is cooking for two minutes <laughs> in the microwave. Like all of this kind of adds up, doesn't it? Oh, look, it absolutely does, you know, and I think I'm a real big believer in sort of micro chunks of activity. You know, 10, 15 years ago, I used to believe that if you didn't have an hour, then it was pointless going out and doing anything, you know. But now, because of my lifestyle, you know, with a young family and, and a business to run, I, I just take my opportunities. If I've got six or seven minutes, I'll, I'll run over to the beach maybe and do a few push-ups and go for a quick one-minute dip and then come home and dry off. And then, and then I feel a lot better after work, for instance. And you just take your time and, and use your time wisely and invest in those small chunks and it adds up. It adds up and it really and it pays you back. 
such important messages already. I mean, even if we end it here, such valuable <laughs> elements to incorporate, honestly. And, and and I just couldn't agree more with so much of this. And and I will continue to agree as you move on to the next one for sure. Oh, <laughs> cool. Well, I can't wait for you to disagree, Ben. Then we can have it. We can have oh, it I don't think I will. I'll, I'll just debate oh, one. Right. <laughs> okay. okay. I just before I go on to the next one, I just, mm. I've got a quote to share, which I really love by by Socrates. And Socrates says it's a shame for a a man or, or woman to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which the body is capable. And I think a lot of the time mm. we just don't know what we're capable of because we don't invest the time wisely. And so it's about just you know making sure we invest that time. So num- number five is sleep. Now, sleep is simply the best performance tool we have. Um, it l- literally allows the brain to process, process information to be stored. So it frees up our hippocampus and encourages that ability to get into that flow state. And when we're in that flow state at work or when we're training or you know, talking and communicating, that's when the magic happens. That's when we make a difference and that's when we are more productive. So sleep just improves productivity. It improves brain health. Um, it improves body, soul. It's just one of those things that we need to do a lot more of. So seven and a half to nine hours, make sure that we plan for that. If you're not getting that, look at your day. How can you, how can you sort that out? Um, and, and just make sure that we really give sleep the priority that it deserves because in our, again, in our busy culture, you know, sleep sleeps for wimps and, you know, you can get enough sleep when you're dead. Well, that, that's all just, um, just myths, you know, we need to make sure we get enough sleep so that we can be at our optimum. And, um, if we look at the best, uh, athletes in the world, like Roger Federer, he hires two houses during certain tennis tournaments. So he's got one house for his wife, his twins, <laughs> and his, and his au-, au pair, and then one house for him. And he does that so that he can get his 12 hours plus sleep a night to really encourage recovery between matches to help his tournament play. So the best in the world are doing it. So we need to, again, just make sure that we are really dialing down on, on good sleep patterns. Yeah. And, and a lot, a lot of what you've mentioned, like for people who are struggling with sleep, the mindfulness, the meditation, the movement, like all of this will yeah. actually help it better than sleep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the best way to, to, to work on your sleep quality is to work on your habits from when you wake up. So if you can wake up um, and you can and you can get into some good habits with some meditation, some movement, um, looking at the sunrise, um, getting good relationships, um, you know, working on your relationships, all that sort of stuff, that all helps with sleep quality. You know, so people are very quick to invest in sleep drops and, and those sort of things. But I think it's about looking at, they might be helpful in, in, in some, you know, sometimes, but it's about looking at those big things, those big free things first, um, and that'll then allow you to provide that platform for optimum sleep. Brilliant, yep. So on to the next one where Ben you might start to disagree. Oh, I wouldn't disagree. I just I just I just question. You're yeah, just a whip, so you don't want to go. I am. Call. I am. But uh, Brad, you definitely post if anyone follows Brad Dixon on Instagram, um, I'm sure other platforms as well, but this is something you definitely see on the regular, even in winter. Yeah. Yeah, I tried it. This is something I'm quite passionate about. And cold water swimming is one of those things that I fell in love with a few years ago now. And, and so it's one of my habits. Um, every Wednesday, I've got a no wetsuit Wednesday. I've been plugging it for five years and I haven't got more than three or four people along. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, 
so no wetsuit Wednesdays. We, we meet during winter, you know, and we swim around Leisure Island at Mount Monganui, and it's about an 800 to 1,000 meter swim, depending on tide. And and we and we just enjoy it. We get together and we get cold, and that that cold water. So when the water gets sort of under 16 degrees, you really start to get those benefits of cold water thermogenesis. So when you get thermogenesis, it's basically your body warming itself up from the inside out using fat burning pathways. So it encourages your cells to literally become more efficient fat burners. So from an endurance point of view, it actually helps you become a more efficient endurance athlete. So cold water therapy not only is good for, for health and well-being and immune system robustness, there's research out there to, to show that, I believe, and the research is scant at the moment, but I believe that cold water therapy actually helps you as an endurance athlete. So getting into the into an ocean or a lake during winter, um, having a cold shower, and I've, I've had a cold shower basically every morning since November 2015, so almost five years now, um, and I love it. Um, it's now become such a habit, I almost look forward to it. Um, the first few seconds are tough, tough, but then you get your breathing under control and you, you come out of a cold shower feeling alive. You just feel brilliant. You come out of a hot shower and you just feel a bit blah, you know. Um, but the, so, so the difference is, is night and day. Um, and as I say, there's also great benefits not only for, for, for wellness and cellular longevity, um, but there's also benefits for your skin and for your, uh, for your hair. And these, I mean, I think cold water... Is, is uh, cold water showers is the solution to a lot of the world's problems, including Auckland's water problem at the moment. You know, if people had cold showers, <laughs> rather than having the average eight-minute shower, which uses 20 litres a minute, we'd have one-and-a-half to two-minute shower. So we'd save 40,000 litres of water per person per year. So cold showers have a massive effect um, in terms of uh, health and then also saving precious resources like, like water. So there you go. Have I sold it to you, Ben? Are you going to start taking cold showers Look, now? Let, let's, let's be honest here. I, I, I have seen research on this, and I do get that. And I, and I have always been a believer that there are certainly benefits of uh, cold water, ice bath immersions, you know, to sort of that, that, that realm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's one of those things. And, and this is exactly the point of this whole conversation is it's a habit isn't it and and you get so accustomed to the comfort of first thing in the morning having a nice hot shower or coming back i mean today honestly with today's rain if our dams haven't filled up i don't know if they ever will but you come home (laughs) and and the last thing you want after being miserable for five hours under the in the rain um is another cold shower when you've just been in a five-hour oh, cold shower. So you know, so it's habit. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's it's getting out out of that comfort zone, or what we feel is the comfort zone, um, and it's one of those changes. Look, I mean, it took me forever to get my head around. Hey, yoga is actually good for me, um, and you know what? I'll issue myself a challenge. I will have a cold shower as my next shower, and I'll give it a go. Awesome. Awesome. But I mean, it's also part of our evolutionary pathway. I mean, we've been evolving now as humans for about 7 million years and mild cold stress has up until, you know, the last teeny tiny fraction of our evolutionary process is when we kind of solved that problem, I suppose, and moved Mm. away from that. So we're not getting these natural ebbs and flows as far as exposure to cold goes. Um, And 
caloric um, consumption. So there's a really interesting paper, just for any of the listeners who want to dive a um, bit deeper into this, it's called the Metabolic uh, Winter Hypothesis um, by Ray Cronice and David Sinclair. So they're metabolic and um, longevity researchers, and they do discuss, um, you know, the potential benefits of exposing yourself to cold on a regular basis, as well as um, uh, caloric scarcity. Um, so yeah, evolutionary, it's quite interesting. We, we have been exposed to these things for so long and now we're kind of moving away from that um, and like the effects that that can have on our health and longevity. Just to put a little um, addition onto that, I, I definitely wouldn't recommend having a cold shower after, in a, after a long run in, in cold conditions. I think that's probably taking it a bit too far. Yeah, of course. So I yeah. always, if, if I have a a run in the morning and it's cold and I get home and I'm chilled, then then, I, then I'll have a warm shower. So I, I, I'll have a cold shower in the morning, but um, definitely if I'm um, feeling cold because of a session outside, uh, then yeah. I'm not too Common sense, uh, crazy. yeah. Common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's um, that's a really interesting point, uh, Emma, that you brought up about David Sinclair and Ray Cronice getting together. Those, those two are, I mean, I've followed those guys for years and it's really interesting that they've got a paper together on the fact that you know, for me, fasting and cold water are two of these things that we need to do more of because mm. it, it is something that makes us comfortable with uncomfortable. And it's something that that our uh, evolutionary pathway, as, as you just said, you know, back in the day, a few thousand years ago, you know, food, we couldn't just go to a shop and buy food and, and, and we didn't have uh, warmth. You know, we got cold and we got hungry. And I think those two things are embedded in our evolutionary Neuro, um, sort of uh, neuroplasticity, and so to take those things away, I think, um, is actually detrimental. And I think to have a little bit of fasting and have a little bit of cold, um, I think, is very, very useful for for longevity and for wellness. So it's, I'm going to look at that paper when um uh, when I, when, we, when we stop this discussion today. I'll send it to you when we're offline. <laughs> oh, thank you. That'd be great. That'd be great. <clears throat> cool. Um, shall I go for number seven now? So after the Cold water, number seven, is, is what we've touched on before, and that's moderate and vigorous cardiovascular exercise. So I, I just think we need, you know, the minimum, as we said before, is 150 minutes a week, but I think we need to aim for up to an hour a day, um, if possible, um, move towards that anyway. And about, you know, anywhere between 20 and 30% of that should be vigorous. So, you know, vigorous, a real easy way to put that into uh, context, is unable to say more than a few words, you know. So you're, so you're just puffing and getting a bit out of breath. Um, so I think you need to be doing most of your cardiovascular exercise aerobically, um, so you can maybe string a few sentences together speaking. But then uh, you know, 10 to 30 percent of it can be can be vigorous, can be a little bit more, uh, you know, up tempo or out of breath um, type type work, and that's going to really help. And if you can do that cardiovascular exercise, and that's jogging, walking, riding a bike, uh, rowing, um, uh, you know, climb, walking up the mountain. Um, something like that. And if you can do it in nature, then I think the it's even more enhanced. Because I think when you get into nature and you move your body, I think that's what we're designed to do. And also getting into nature means you're going to appreciate nature, which then hopefully means you, you'll look to save nature. Because, you know, as we talked about before, we need to have a really good uh, thriving natural world for us to actually be thriving as, as human beings. So that's that's really a really important link. I think for that for that hour, you could you could include you know some swimming, some yoga, some bodyweight exercises. Um, yeah. You know you can include you can probably include a little bit more than just the cardiovascular component because if you do do bodyweight exercises, say so some burpees and some push-ups, mm. you know, your heart rate's going to rise a little bit there anyway. So I think yeah. it's you don't have to be too fragmented with that. I think it's just try and get an hour of movement a day 
Um, and if you can do that with those different components, some flexibility, um, some, some cardiovascular exercises, some strength work, I think then you're going to be going a long way to um, helping your body stay well in the future. So the next one is uh, fasting. So, you know, that's something that, again, I, I didn't really it didn't really enter my consciousness until I started reading a little bit about calorie restriction. Um, and I read a book um, basically about how to prolong life, which was written uh, in the, the late 1800s by a doctor. And he was saying that, that the one thing that he found in common with all his clinical case studies of people that lived for a long time was that they had some form of calorie restriction. So I think... I started to look at fasting for, uh, I suppose, a cellular longevity type thing. And, and studies have shown that a lot of positive changes and functions of genes related to longevity and protection against certain diseases. There's also autophagy. So autophagy is basically when you, when you stop eating, your digestive system has a break and then your body's defenses have a bit of a break to spread out and look at other cells in, in your system. So autophagy is, for me, is kind of like you can't, you can't kind of clean your house when you have a hundred toddlers running around the house. So fasting for me, for your digestive system, is like taking a hundred toddlers out of your house, putting them into daycare, and then giving your house a spring clean. So that's what you're doing when you're fasting. You're giving your digestive system a well-earned break um, for, for, for your body to actually scan the rest of the cellular network and get rid of sort of any dysfunctional proteins or or sentient cells that are sort of not working correctly and, and get rid of them um, and expel them. And so, you know, fasting, I think, has, is, a real, is really, really important when we look for longevity and, and wellness. And, and the research, again, is stacking up. So for fasting, for me, I've been doing it for about almost three years now. And I had one day, my rest day, so it was Tuesday, now it's Monday. And I just don't eat for about 20 to 22 hours. So I don't eat from say, um, dinner time till, you know, the dinner time the next day. So it's, you know, about 22 hours in total. And, and that just once, I just do that once a week. I mean, that, that's my protocol um, and it works really well for me. Um, and it's just important that everybody looks at, the, at, at some of the research and figures out some kind of fasting protocol for them. Uh, the research is, is varied. Uh, it's definitely better for men than women on the whole from what I've read. Um, and, and so I would say to people if you want to do some form of fasting whether it be an intermittent fasting protocol or any other protocol that you that you talk to someone with a, a bit of knowledge about the subject and, and make sure that you apply it and, and and just take note of how you feel and how things are going so um, it's definitely something that that needs to needs further research um, but for me I think it's something that um, should be incorporated into most people's uh, wellness plan. Yeah, and I will just jump in here for the listeners. If you have a chronic condition like diabetes or like especially if you're taking insulin, um, just check with your um, GP first before you um, embark on any of these fasting um, protocols. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, fasting's a bit of an interesting one. But, I mean, like you say, you've got to find something that that works for you. And, you know, there's there's other sort of, you know, you do one day a week, there's intermittent fasting, there's time-restricted feeding. There's a lot of sort of facets to it. And like you say, I think the overarching component of that is giving your body a rest from eating Um, because then it can perform so many other crucial functions that it needs to um, to provide you know, I guess longevity um, and good health and, and, and all the uh, all the other other stuff. So, um, yeah, it's it's important to sort of 
um, you know, there's no one hard and fast rule about anything. It's about making it work for yourself. So it, it, it truly is the individualized approach um, that, you know, you kind of need to figure out along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just add something to that. You know, mm. Professor Longo has done some great research and he has a couple days a week where he just has calorie restriction. So he only eats um, four he gets his people to eat between four and five hundred calories on two days out of the seven, and he gets a lot of the effects, positive effects that that um, complete fasting shows. So I think it's just about making sure that you look at reducing your calories every now and then when when safe to do so, and I think then you're going to get some of those positive effects. Yeah. And the other thing that fasting does is it gives you a real uh, better mindfulness around food, and I think it gives you a better yeah. appreciation for food and also a greater empathy for those in our world that don't have enough food. You know, so we've got, you know, uh, about 2 billion people on, on earth that, that um, don't have enough food to eat. Um, and, and so it really starts to give you a little bit more empathy for those people that, you know, are struggling to have, you know, even, even two meals a day. So um, that, that's one real positive benefit, one sort of an enhancing, uh, expansive benefit of fasting as well. So relationships. Now, this is one that's not spoken about very often, um, and I think yeah. it's an absolutely crucial one because it can certainly elevate um, levels of stress. It can certainly um, sort of flip, uh, or, you know, the balance towards a more um, sympath- the sympathetic nervous system, be more engaged, which which is not good. So yeah, talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think. This one is probably the most important one, you know, and we, we, we are made to be, you know, we're made to be relationship type beings and we, mm-hmm. we like to connect with others and having a positive quality relationships in our lives is the foundation for us. And so you can go to as many yoga classes as you want or drink as many green smoothies as you want, but if you have a dysfunctional, negative, toxic relationship with someone in your family or in your flat or in your workplace, that will undermine all of that other stuff because it creates anxiety, stress, inflammation within your system. So, you you know, and, and we, we all know, you know, if, if, if you've got a day and you've had a fight with your spouse on the way up, you know, to, to work, you know, you, you, you're going to be thinking about that fight and you're going to be thinking about, about how the communication was let down and how the relationship, um, you know, is, is going through some stress. And so, I think it's really important that we all make sure, especially as health professionals, that we talk to our clients and our athletes. You know, how how are your relationships going, and and can you put more effort into to that? There, can you be more authentic with you know your loving relationships? Because when we all start to work on that, then I really do believe we can pivot, which is the, the word of the, the word of the moment, pivot <laughs> towards a much better society. Mm. Um, you know, and one of the one of the longest, most comprehensive studies that's ever been done, which is the Harvard study of adult development. It's over 80 years of data, and, and, and that study shows that good relationships keep us happier and healthier. So we need yeah. to make sure that we are authentic in our actions. You know, love is not just this gooey feeling or this Hollywood movie. Love is an action towards those that mean the most to us, and we need to be more loving to those that are closest to us so that we can create that stable platform to expand that love um, and, and, and to really be more expansive with that love thy neighbor. You know, we, we need to really expand that out a lot more and, and make sure that we, our relationships allow other relationships to be able to expand out. And then, 
you know, I truly believe we could make the world a better place. You know, we could be a lot more connected um, in, a, in a lot more positive ways and hopefully stop some of this tribalism that's going on at the moment. And, um, you know, these very black and white uh, groups that we have in politics and in religion and in nutrition and in, and in all these things, we've got all these labels and groups. And I think we just need to start looking for a little bit more commonality um, rather than division. And I think then we can really move forward as one, which is what we need to do. So sorry to go on to a little bit of a different tangent there, but you know, relationships is about that. It's about not only our family unit, it's about, commu- it's about communities, it's about the planet. It's about, about being way more expansive with what a positive relationship actually means. Totally. How, how good does it feel when you help a stranger? at something you know um and it's exactly that it's it's the the positivity you get from that so like you say it's not just the the you know a spouse or a a partner at home or whatever it's 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 being a good person in general gives you that good feeling and then that's that's part of it that's exactly what you you've been sort of explaining you know so it is important it is important to not be so focus and say okay i'm just going to work on that relationship at home it's at work it's it's when you go shopping when you step on a bus when you you know wherever you are it's 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 um positivity it's just it's basically treating others like you would like to be treated yourself and if we could all think about that a little bit more and that's where i think meditation gives you that space to be a bit more proactive with Mm -hmm. action rather than reactive and, and so it's about being, you know, understanding that we're all connected, that we're all one, we're all one big family on, on, on this planet, which is our home. Um, it's a closed system. So wh- how we treat each other has a massive effect on, on our future. And so that positive relationship and treating others as you want to be treated and loving your neighbor in a, an expansive way um, is far better than some of these tribes, divisions and um, and, 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 and just these little groups that we've formed and, you know, oh, I'm right, you're wrong. It's, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about we're all in this together. Let's look for commonality and, and have discussion without getting um, personal. You know, it's about and, and so I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. We've got we've kind of got to the stage where if you have a different opinion to me, then I have to hate you. Like <laughs> it's yeah. it's just really bizarre mindset that we're kind of um, getting into as a whole. I think social media probably has a lot to do with that, but I won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think we've, we've got to, you know, having having differences in opinion is good. It helps us sit in discomfort and look at something from another person's point of view. Exactly. We need to look. We need to look at um, uh, having a different opinion as a blessing, and, 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 and sometimes when we come together with people with different opinions, it's, we, we, we get our backs up really quickly and get really emotive and reactive, and what we should do is sit down and let people tell their story and think and digest that and then take what you, know, that, what you, can, what you can sort of resonate with their story and then, and then maybe add to it, and that's how we grow and learn and, and get better. You know? yeah, it's about exactly. having people with 100%. different opinions you know and we need to start acting like that a little bit more rather than this staying entrenched in your position and lobbing grenades and just attacking it's like no let's 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 get together and talk and and if we could all do that wouldn't the world be a better place well advancements Mm -hmm. in society happen because someone stands out with a different opinion to the rest so you have to embrace it and we're too quick to judge as well before listening to these stories, yeah. so it's exactly what you say because segment, um, you know, the society is becoming very segmented. We think this, we're in this group. 
you think that you're in that group and we don't like that group <laughs> you know and and yeah. that's that's actually uh, impeding on our ability to look for solutions to a lot of issues we have in society at the moment um and it, it impedes on the way for society to progress um and and we're not going to you know a lot of these conversations we've had on these podcasts are about looking for solutions to make this world the place it needs it deserves to be and you can't do that yeah. with having those uncomfortable conversations with, with respecting others um, and being open-minded. Absolutely. And then also sometimes agreeing to disagree and shake mm. hands and yep. hug and move on. It's like And then not, go to yoga together to... and then you'll feel good. <laughs> yeah, go to yoga and then have a plant-based smoothie and just talk Bingo. about some other things. You know? yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, yeah, so that, that's really important. So mm. I think that's... Yeah, you know, number nine relationships is probably the most important um, yeah. wellness expense, expansive wellness habit, and, um, and so that's important to put that across. Yeah, least spoken about, least understood, and yet so fundamental. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, in the last item um, is yeah, reduce, reuse, recycle, and refuse. And you know, I think we need to understand that since 1950, there's been about eight and a half billion tons of plastic produced and that's used up about eight percent of our oil production um, and most of that most of it i think only about eight or nine percent has been recycled mm. uh, ends up in our beautiful oceans you know and, and look for yeah. me you know i swim in the ocean probably two or three times a week um, i love the ocean i love that ecosystem two out of every three breaths we take is produced by the ocean um, and and we are destroying it you know we're destroying it with our with our quick fix, buy all this plastic crap mentality to make us feel happy. And we're just destroying ourselves without even knowing it. And I just feel we need to make sure and that we need to break away from this buy more, make happy, cause um, consumeristic culture. And we need to maybe move towards a little bit more of a maybe even a degrowth society where we just use stuff for longer, don't buy as much stuff. Um, make do a little bit, maybe repair things, reuse things, recycle mm. things, um, just reduce our footprint, um, um, buy less stuff, which goes against our GDP and our economic models of growth. But we need to look, and this is post-COVID, and you know, and I believe COVID and climate change are just symptoms of biosphere breakdown. They're a symptom of our total disregard to the natural or for the natural world. So. We need to look at new ways of doing things. And I really love Dr. Kate Rowworth's um, donut economics model. I don't know if you guys have come across that. Yeah. But she has put forward this fantastic way of a donut model providing a safety net for those most vulnerable in our society and then having, having an outer boundary for planetary resources and trying to stay within those two, um, those two barriers. And we, I think we just need to start looking at different ways of doing things and and that goes back to what we were talking about before. And in, in our political system, we're so divided. You know, you're either this or that or this. And it's about why don't we look at policy from different parties and bring them in and, and just and just try to become way more collaborative. And the government could they could create working groups between different parties to work on some of the biggest problems in our society. But oh no, they're, they're busy yelling at each other like school kids in the chamber. Yeah. So we need as you know, this change needs to come from the ground up, from the people, and then it needs to come from the top down, and that's legislation and policy from government, local and central. So we really need, in terms of relationships and our ability to reduce, reuse, recycle, and refuse, 
Um, we need a total change in the way that we live and the, the way that we actually gauge success. It's not about money. It's about it's about actually wellness and the cleanliness of our water and our soil and our the, the bioactivity of our soil and the cleanliness and, and health of our oceans. It's you know making sure our natural world is looked after and it can thrive so that we can then thrive on the back of that. Um, and having that connection and making sure that we talk about that and that's central to any policy or legislation going forward. Yeah. Well, I I think that's a brilliant um, place to kind of wrap things up on because that's such an important take-home message. Um, before we l- let you go and enjoy the rest of your weekend, um, for people who want to find out more, where can where can they find you? How can they reach you? Yeah, look, I mean, so it's Instagram. So Instagram, um, at everfitcoach um, is where I post uh, two or three times a week with wellness tips. Um, a lot of it's about cold water therapy and uh, um, and, and you, some nutrition stuff. Um, so yeah, at Everfit Coach on Instagram, and then I've also got uh, YouTube. Um, so that's uh, Everfit Coach as well on YouTube. Um, uh, yeah, so they're the, the two main ones, I think, Instagram and, and YouTube. So yeah, if people want to connect, um, then I'm really happy to um, yeah, connect with others and just share some some stuff about about a wellness journey. Look, I think these habits are, um, you know, there can be more. You can create a a list as you wish, but you've really highlighted 10 key elements, um, which, you know, to our listeners, you don't need a coach or you don't need to be a health professional. You know, these are habits you can form yourself, you can research yourself. And just like uh, transitioning to a plant-based diet, where do you start? How do you start? Just start. Um, you know, pick one or two that you think can be a little bit more manageable to, to, to sort of change, you know, the cold water thing for me. Okay, so I'm already plant-based. I'm already doing a few other things. That's next on my list now. I've, I've made, a, I've made a, a resolution. I'm going to give that a go. Pick something and give it a go. And don't just give it a go for a week. You know, Brad, you've said um, that, uh, you know, the 66 to 120 days. days, so 100, so roughly yeah. three months. You know, yeah. you've got to create habit. Yeah. Right to actually uh, see the benefit, you're not going to see a benefit in a week. It's going to take a few weeks at least. Three months is a good is a good measure. Um, but this is brilliant and 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 so interrelated as well. And once you're doing two or three of these habits, and you add the fourth, you just it just gets easier because they all interrelated with each other. They're all components of the bigger picture. So, Brad, thank you so so much. It's been absolutely enlightening. Um, so valuable. And, um, yeah, it's just thank you so much again for coming onto the show. Thank you, Brad. Oh, yeah, well, thank you, guys. And thank you for the work you, you're doing. You know, your podcast is, is fantastic, and you both are fantastic. And it was really nice meeting you both personally last year and, and hope to, to spend some more time with both of you in the future sometime. Build on our relationship, and we'll go for that cold water <laughs> swim. So, <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. brilliant, Brad. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Um, oh, and Emma, before we go, uh, quick announcement. Oh, yes. Quick announcement. Um, we just wanted to touch base with you. Um, we hope that you've been enjoying all the conversations so far. I think you've got a pretty good idea now of the types of conversations we do have. Um, so if you know of any particular person that you think would fit our criteria here, um, you want someone on the show send us an email or reach out to us on our social media, on our Facebook or our Instagram and do let us know because we want to make this show 
as helpful as we possibly can for you, the listener. So please do touch base if you have anyone that you'd love to listen to on the show. Absolutely. And remember, our preference, and we have had some international guests and we'll continue to do so, but our preference is to shine the spotlight on our local Australia and New Zealand good people that have amazing um do amazing work and and that's that's who really we want to we want to sort of elevate so um thank you so much for the support and uh yeah we'll continue to bring some amazing guests brad again thank you so much thank you thank you for listening to the lentil intervention podcast if you found this interesting make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends 